following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. You know, there's a scripture in Psalm 2, the second Psalm, that says, Ask of me, ask of me, ask of me. You know, I... I'm really, I've really been challenged by God of late about asking, asking for things. There's a scripture in, in James chapter 4 that says, you have not because you ask not. And, and believe it or not, that scripture almost haunts me. He said, why, why would it haunt you? Well, imagine getting to heaven and God saying, you could have had that if you asked for that. You could have had this if you asked for it. You don't have it because you didn't ask for it. Or you asked for it, but you didn't persist in prayer for it. You just gave up too soon. It was ordered. It was on the way. But as soon as you stopped praying, you stopped laying the railway tracks. See, prayer is like laying the railway tracks from heaven to your place. And so God's train filled with the response. It's on its way, but the railway tracks need to be laid. And sometimes it just takes a while to lay those railway tracks. And if you stop praying, the train gets halfway and it doesn't quite reach there because you stop praying. That's why God says for us to persist in prayer. You hear what I'm saying? So here's Psalm 2, ask of me, ask of me. And then there's this incredible connection to that verse. And I will give you the nations. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. And I'm thinking, God, my prayers are just so small. I'm asking for little things. And God's saying, come on, I want to give you nations. I want to give you nations. I mean, does that challenge you? Because it certainly challenges me, saying maybe my prayers are just a tiny little bit too small. God says, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession." Wow. Wow. See, can I just say something to you that's going to be a little bit confronting? Because what you actually ask for in prayer is a revelation of your passion and focus. What you ask of God really reveals your passion and focus. And so if all your prayers are me-centered prayers, it's all about me. God, I need a bigger house. Oh, God, I need a bigger car. God, I need bigger clothes. Or some of you are praying that. I'm praying for you that you pray the opposite. God, I need smaller clothes. But if all you're praying is self-centered, then that's, that's got to reveal something to you that maybe your focus is self-centered. And you know, and... and and there is an element for that. There's not, I'm not saying don't pray for things. I'm not saying that. But if that's all you're praying for, then that shows your focus. You say, well, what should I pray? Well, hey, glad you asked that question. Move on to a higher level of praying is being others focused. And so when you start praying for others, 
when you start just getting out of yourself, just getting out of, because yourself can be such a small world, but when you start getting out of yourself to others, that becomes such a bigger world. Can you see that? When you start praying for others, you expand your world. And so, you know, I mean, it's good to pray for mum and dad and my brother and my sister and, you know, and just... But can you expand a little bit broader than just mum and dad and the kids? And the, Can you expand a little bit broader? Because that's what we were doing today. We're expanding. God, let our nation be healed. Let our city be healed. So we expand. And then we expand a little bit more. God, for the nations, the nations of the world. But let me tell you another level of praying. First level is just self. Another level is others. But can I tell you the, the top level of praying? You say, what's the top level of praying? When you actually tap into God's passion and you start praying for what the passion of God is. So you actually get a revelation of what God is passionate about. And so your whole prayer becomes God-centered even more so than self-centered or other-centered, it becomes God-centered. And it's like you become one with God and your heartbeat and God's heartbeat get in sync. And so you start to beat the very heartbeat of God. That's another level altogether, friends. And for some of you, you're still a little bit away from there. Some of you are already there. But you know what? If you're not already there, why don't you make it your goal to be there and so let me help you on understanding the passion of God. Because I can summarize very quickly what the passion is. Who, who wants to know what God's passion is? What makes, God, what, what makes God's heart beat? Two things. Here it is, very simply. First thing that God is passionate about is people. Everybody say people. He created you to have fellowship with him. See... You're different to the angels. You're different to the animals. You're different to every other created thing. Why is that? Because you were created in the image of God. That's what makes you totally unique. And that's why I hate the lie of evolution that makes you just a freak, just a chance. You're just, you're just a chance happening. It's just... It's just the chance freaks of nature that just sort of freakishly just sort of came together. It's just accidents that are just bombarded together. So you had a choice to believe that, or you got a choice to believe that you were created by God in His image to be like Him. What a difference! No, you're not an accident. You're a creation. Creation by God to be like Him. And that's why God loves people so much. So you've got this passion of God is people. Then the second passion of God is righteousness. Righteousness is, I, I, it's another word for holiness. Holiness has got a lot of baggage with it. But righteousness means right standing, means basically to be perfect. It means to be like God, which is sinless, pure. And God's passion is righteousness. So God is holy. 
Bible says that God is holy. And, and in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, we're encouraged, be holy as God is holy. In other words, be righteous as God is righteous. And say, wow, is that possible to be as righteous as God is? Yes, it is. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes, how you can be as righteous as God. But let's get back to this whole combination of people and righteousness. Because I honestly believe that you know how much someone loves by what they're willing to give. So I've got a friend of mine whose girl contracted cancer. And so when he found out, she was three years of age, and his, his attitude was, what can I do? What can I give? I, I don't want my daughter to die. And so they went the whole journey and, and basically to pay for the medication, this is going back over 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, he had to sell his house, which he did without blinking. Why is that? Because when he measured his house versus his girl, it was like, I'd give away a thousand houses for one daughter. How many, how many of you feel the same? Say, what? Why? Why? Because it's the depth of your love. Your depth of your love is revealed in what you're willing to give in exchange. Yeah. Hello? So, how's that connected? Well, let's go to the one verse in the Bible that most of you have already memorized. Huh? How many, how many of you know at least one verse in the Bible that you've memorized. I know when I was about five or six years of age, my first Bible memory verse was John 3.16. Who else? Okay, you don't have to fight. And so let's, let's quote it together. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting love. Let's go right back to the beginning of the verse. Because there's one two-letter word that is so powerful at the beginning of this verse. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say, for God loved the world. For God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That two letters of that word gives it an emphasis that is so powerful. For God so loved the world. And all of a sudden, there's this comparison between the love of God and what he was willing to give to demonstrate his love. So he's God, the creator of the universe. Okay, He created everything. He created the planets. He created the solar system. He created the angels. He created the gold and the silver. He created all the money. He created everything. But one thing he didn't create, that was his son who was always with him from the very beginning. So what's the most precious that God has in all of the universe? What's the most precious? The Son. And so because God was willing to give the Son, it shows how much He loves people. I need for you to stop and contemplate that for a moment. 
Because if you ever, ever doubt your value to God, you need to compare what God gave to you. And that elevates you to the highest level of value in God's eyes. So what's God passionate about? He's passionate about people. He's passionate about you. And you know who, who's also passionate about you, but in the absolute negative is Satan, the devil. Because the devil knows that if he can get to you, he can get to God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so right from day one, the devil's greatest ambition in life was to destroy humanity. And so, and so here it is. God's greatest passion is people and righteousness. People and holiness. People and rightness. And he's the devil's greatest passions as well. In exactly the opposite. How can I destroy people and destroy their righteousness? Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so right there in the Garden of Eden is, is the first confrontation between the first human beings and their righteousness. And so what did the devil come to do? He came to create a wedge between what God loves in people and righteousness and tempted them to sin, thereby removing their righteousness and they become unrighteous. And the devil's running around saying, Woohoo, I got one up against God. And God says, You have started the war, but you won't win it. <laughs> You've started this thing, but you won't win it. Why is that? Because I've got a plan. And my plan is how I can win my people back, take away their sin, and make them righteous once more. And so right there in Genesis chapter 3, there is the prophecy of the coming of the Son of God. There's the prophecy of the fact that he would destroy the devil's power, that that serpent would have his head crushed. The bruise would be on the heel of Jesus, but the enemy's head would be crushed. And for those of you that are scholars, we call it the pro-evangelium. Right there in Genesis chapter 3 is the first prophecy of evangelism in the Bible where it's prophesied that the enemy's head would be squashed and his bruise would be healed, would be bruised, his heel would be bruised. So this is the question, okay. So if God's passion is righteousness, how do we get righteous? Because it's very clear all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's very clear that every single one of us have lost our righteousness. It started with Adam and Eve. But all of us are born in sin and all of us have lost our righteousness. And so you've got all these pseudo answers. And the pseudo answers is this. Well, you become righteous by doing righteous things. Let me tell you, I love the fact that we do righteous things. But how does a righteous thing remove the unrighteousness that we've done? Oh, well, then you get weight in the balances. You know the way it works, man. You know, there's going to be this, this day of accountability. Well, who does that? And whose scales are they? And who's the judge of that? And who determines how heavy one righteous deed is over how heavy an unrighteous deed is? And where's the balances? How does that work? And how do you know that you've done enough righteous deeds to overcome even one unrighteous deed? Bum, bum. It's wrong. So, so, so where do we go to? Well, we go to the Creator. 
He defines righteousness. He defines how to remove unrighteousness. And so this is the way that it works. God says, you know what? I'm going to take away the responsibility off you to become righteous. And I'll put it onto me. So I will make a way whereby you can become righteous. And that's by actually causing my son to die in your place. To pay the penalty for your unrighteousness. And so when Jesus hung upon the cross and his blood was shed, that blood signifying his life, when that blood was shed, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, from all unrighteousness. This is what 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Wow. So how do we have our sins removed? By believing that the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And at that point, we become righteous. I love that old hymn, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What tremendous truth is found in those words. Because my righteousness does not come from my righteous deeds. But by being washed, cleansed, purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so then, how do I, once that's happened, how do I continue in righteousness? How do I continue to stay holy? By doing good things? Yeah, well, that's, that's a good thing to do good things. But more importantly than that is to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God that makes you holy. That's why He's called Holy Spirit. He keeps you righteous. So that's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, that if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That walking in the Spirit can also be translated walking with the Spirit, being in communion with the Spirit, being in relationship, being in connection with the Holy Spirit. And so here's what happens when you get saved, when you come to that point of believing that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You open up your inner world to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes in and kaboom, the power of God comes into humanity. You become born again. You become filled with something of God and you start walking righteously. How awesome is that? How many of you know that truth to be true? Now, I've said all that to get to this point here. What's the point? That missions is the intersection of God's passion. Missions is where God's passions for people and God's passion for righteousness intersects. Because missions is about going into all the world with incredible love for people that have blinded to God's message of the only way they become righteous. And what happens is this, people are seeking their own righteousness. They're seeking good works. And all the religions of the world teach them 
that you become acceptable to the higher power by doing good works. And so there's people just on this treadmill of good works, hoping, hoping, hoping they've done enough good works, good works, good works, good works. And God's saying, no, just come to me and I'll impute to you my righteousness. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says. That Jesus became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And this is what I call the great exchange, where there's this confrontation, where Jesus says, you give me your sin, you give me your unrighteousness, and I will give you my righteousness. Let's make a deal. You give me your junk and I'll give you my beauty. If that is not the deal of the universe, I don't know what is. You give him your sin, your junk, your bitterness, your resentment, your anger, your frustration, your impurity, your shame, your guilt, all the junk that you're carrying. And he goes, I give you my righteousness. Oh, just think about that for a second. When you stand before God on that great day of accountability. And you are totally analyzed. There's nothing that you can hide. Nothing at all. Everything that you thought was hidden will be exposed. It'll be all there. How shameful that will be for so many people. Except for those that have had the great exchange. And you'll be able to say, yes, I'm guilty of so much, but Jesus took it all away. And now I'm righteous, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. And I receive it as God's free gift. See, some of you have heard that over and over and over again, year after year after year after year. Anne and I were brought up in church. And we've heard this message since we were little kids. I think I was seven when I first responded. Anne was six. She's always more advanced than me. It's always good to know. I got baptized when I was 13. She got baptized when you were 11. See, two years ahead there. But we got actually married on the same day. So we caught up. (laughs) Uh, I was early. I was there first. So, uh, just pay attention. You got me off track here, okay? (laughs) Uh, You're just having too much fun in church. You shouldn't have too much fun in church. You should be bored. That's the uh, the deal. Instead of on the edge of your seat, leaning forward, listening to God's message of hope. On that incredible day, on that incredible day, on that incredible day, some of us will say, thank you, God, that we got the opportunity here. But what I feel sad for are all the people that never got a chance to hear. What I feel sad for is people that still exist on this planet. After Jesus came 2,000 years ago, we still have people today. A third of the world's population has never even heard the gospel. Matter of fact, a third... It's not that they've not even heard, but they're not even within reach of someone telling them. We've got another third that's within reach, but they still haven't heard. 
So in 2014, two-thirds of the world's population still not have heard. And that's where missions come in, because missions is where it intersects God's passion with our passion. And so we as a church have said, God, we want our passion to be your passion, and so we cry out for the nations. Not only do we cry out, but we do something about it. We're going to send. We're going to go. We're going to do something about this so that people might know that they can be righteous, so people can know they can be forgiven, so people can know they don't have to die in their sin, but they can die holy. And then when that day comes, when that day comes and they stand before you, God will say, you're allowed into heaven because you're righteous. And only righteousness can be in heaven. No unrighteousness can exist in heaven. And how many people are there that are filled with unrighteousness and the gates of heaven will be barred to them? It's not just the Hitlers and the Pol Pots that will have the gates of, of heaven barred to them. It's anyone with any unrighteousness. And the only people that will have the gates of heaven open to them are those who have been made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's missions, my friends. Us going and telling that story to as many people as possible. And so here's the challenge. You either go or you send. So, so this is the way that it is. You either get Helen praying for you to go to the central part of South American jungles, the Amazon, where there's still cannibals, and minister to them, or you send somebody to do that. So it's either one or the other. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Center Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials.